You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. When it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices, things can get complicated and time-consuming fast. Now you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more with a single platform, Vanta. Vanta's leading trust management platform helps you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk. Plus, save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. Learn why thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews. Watch Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. A precautionary shutdown at a major U.S. mortgage lender, call centers as targets, a push to decouple data and identity, the cyber front in the Hamas-Israeli war, hacktivism and state-sponsored cyber attacks against Israel, the instructive case of TASS and managing influence operations. Deepin Desai from Zscaler talks about the Toytoin Trojan. Our guest is Joe Nocera from PwC, sharing their latest global digital insights survey and the impact of the SEC's new cybersecurity disclosure rules. And cybercrime on the side of Ukraine, or at least cybercrime against Russia. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel Briefing for Monday, November 6, 2023. Mortgage lender Mr. Cooper, which was previously known as Nation Star Mortgage LLC, the largest mortgage lending company in the U.S., sustained a cyber attack last week that brought down its IT systems. Bleeping Computer reports that the incident affected the company's online payment portal. The company itself said, Customers trying to make payments will not incur fees or any negative impacts as we work to fix this issue. The company further disclosed, On October 31st, Mr. Cooper became the target of a cybersecurity incident and took immediate steps to lock down our systems in order to keep your data safe. Our systems remain locked down, and we are working on a resolution as quickly as possible. It wasn't immediately clear whether any customer data had been compromised. 
The company added, We are actively investigating this event to determine if any data has been compromised. If customers are impacted, they will be notified and provided with identity protection services. A report from TransUnion looks at fraud attacks targeting call centers in the financial industry, finding that more than half of respondents say that fraud attacks on call centers are on the rise based on growth from 2021 to 2022, with financial industry respondents noting an even more acute increase, with a full 90% of respondents indicating at least some observable growth in attacks. The company calls these attacks omnichannel fraud. Lance Hood, Senior Director of Omnichannel Authentication at TransUnion, stated, Through the use of tactics such as spoofed phone numbers and social engineering, combined with personal information obtained from identity theft scams and data breaches, fraudsters have become more focused on call centers as a target to access and take over accounts. More than ever, it's critically important for call centers to find effective and efficient ways to separate legitimate callers from potentially fraudulent high-risk ones in a way that reduces friction for the customer. An article by Bruce Schneier and Bharath Raghavan in IEEE Spectrum outlines a new approach to cloud security called decoupling that could provide better privacy for data stored in the cloud. Schneier and Raghavan explain, The less someone knows, the less they can put you and your data at risk. In security, this is called least privilege. The decoupling principle applies that idea to cloud services by making sure systems know as little as possible while doing their jobs. It states that we gain security and privacy by separating private data that today is unnecessarily concentrated. They continue, To ensure that cloud services do not learn more than they should and that a breach of one does not pose a fundamental threat to our data, we need two types of decoupling. The first is organizational decoupling, dividing private information among organizations such that no one knows the totality of what is going on. The second is functional decoupling, splitting information among layers of software. Identifiers used to authenticate users, for example, should be kept separate from identifiers used to connect their devices to the network. This approach advocated is similar to the idea of a software-defined perimeter, in which resources are restricted based on identities. You may have heard something about this in our podcast by Rick the Toolman Howard. The National Interest yesterday published an assessment of cyber operations to date in the war between Hamas and Israel. Israel shut down Internet connectivity in Gaza during the first weeks of the war and tightened the shutdown over the weekend, and Israel has sustained a variety of hacktivist assaults. Most of these have achieved, at most, nuisance-level effects. The most prominent were the successful hacktivist intrusion into the Red Alert Civil Defense Missile Warning System on October 8th and the October 12th hack of smart billboards in Tel Aviv to display pro-Hamas messages. Israeli defenses seem to have been largely successful in blunting state-directed attacks. Whatever the effectiveness of Israeli cyber defenses, some state-sponsored threat actors have intervened on the side of Hamas. Much of this activity is Iranian, some of it Russian. Palo Alto Network's Unit 42 this morning reported that an Iranian threat group, Agonizing Serpents, which other researchers call Agrius, Black Shadow, Pink Sandstorm, or Dev-0022, 
is conducting a two-phase campaign against Israeli universities and research organizations. The first stage is data theft, with the data subsequently used to dox the victims. Unit 42 sees this as fundamentally an influence operation as opposed to traditional espionage. The information stolen is both personal and proprietary, and doxing is central to the operation. Its goal is to sow fear or inflict reputational damage. The second stage is a wiper attack, which the researchers characterize as a scorched-earth approach that renders affected endpoints unusable. The attackers gain access through vulnerable web servers through which they deploy web shells. Unit 42 describes three tools used in the wiper phase as novel, not previously seen, multi-layer, which covers the attacker's tracks, multi-list, which inventories files on the affected system, and multi-wipe, the wiper proper. Uptix reports that one hacktivist group, GhostSec, formerly an anonymous affiliate, may be turning its attention to Israel. Uptix says, Previously dedicated to tracking and disrupting ISIS-related online propaganda, they notably collaborate more closely with law enforcement and intelligence agencies than their predecessor, Anonymous. Their recent activity against Israeli targets, however, suggests a shift in the group's interests and focus, especially since that activity is centered on its ghost locker ransomware-as-a-service operation. The evident profit motive suggests a new complexity to ghost sex goals and objectives. The chief of the major Russian news service TASS was replaced on July 5th, a few days after the Wagner Group's abortive march on Moscow. The Moscow Times reported that the removal was indeed a sacking and not a retirement or voluntary resignation. The paper quotes an unnamed Russian government official on the change in leadership at TASS, stating, TASS covered all this, that is, the Wagnerite mutiny, in too much detail and promptly. Some kind of insanity has happened to them. They have forgotten that their main task is not to report the news. It's to create an ideologically correct narrative for the Kremlin. The official added that an assessment that TASS now understood its role and that it would be properly aligned in the future. Stating, The neutrality of TASS is of no use to anyone right now. It's wartime and presidential elections are looming. The chief must win on record. Under the new director general, TASS will be more aggressive and provocative. While cyber criminals have worked for Russia in the hybrid war, either as privateers or co-opted contractors, they've been much less in evidence on the Ukrainian side. Hackreed reports, however, a departure from this pattern, Russia's second-largest insurer, Roskostrak, has apparently sustained a significant data breach. Someone with the hacker name Apathy has offered the stolen data for sale on breach forums. The asking price is $50,000, payable in Bitcoin or Monero. Hackreed summarizes the data that appear to be on offer, stating, The compromised data includes full access to the investment and life insurance department records dating back to 2010. The breach, which has put approximately 3 million bank statements at risk, has also compromised data on 730,000 individuals, with approximately 80,000 individuals' Russian social security numbers and 45,000 individuals' complete bank routing information now in jeopardy. The breach also includes access to all life insurance policies and contracts, as well as associated attachments, such as passports and scanned documents of public officials or their immediate relatives. 
The attack seems to be criminally motivated, with no obvious admixture of political or military purpose. The compromised data do seem to include relatively full information on three Russian GRU agents, but that's hardly enough to qualify the hack as a wartime coup. Insofar, however, as the cyber attack inconveniences and embarrasses a major Russian enterprise, objectively, it works in the interests of Ukraine. Coming up after the break, Deepin Desai from Zscaler talks about the Toytoin Trojan. Our guest is Joe Nacera from PwC, sharing their latest Global Digital Trust Insights survey and the impact of the SEC's new cybersecurity disclosure rules. Stay with us. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. Designed by identity architects for identity architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard, and app architecture. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. Joe Nocera is a principal in PwC's cybersecurity practice. PwC recently published their Global Digital Trust Insights Survey, and I reached out to Joe Nocera for insights on that, as well as how the SEC's new cybersecurity disclosure rules will impact companies as they prepare for compliance. One of the interesting things that caught our eye was only about one-third of the organizations that responded uh, said that they were consistently performing uh, the eight leading cyber practices that that we kind of laid out in the report. And that was a little bit surprising. We thought that we'd see a little bit more of an uptick there. I think the other thing uh, that was a key takeaway was cloud-related threats was one of the top priorities that organizations were most concerned about. Uh, that came up time and time again. Uh, and then lastly, you know, 79% of the organizations uh, that we surveyed uh, had a plan to increase their cyber budget in 2024. And so those were, I think, some of the key takeaways. You mentioned uh, being a, a little surprised that um, folks weren't perhaps uh, up to the level that you expected them to be. Were there any other surprises in the results here? You know, I'd say an insight. I, I don't know if it was a surprise given what was happening in the media, but but concerns around AI and responsible use of AI and potential regulation in AI kind of kind of jumped off the page at us. 
a, a little bit. That that was a top concern. And as I said, I don't know that I was surprised given the the media coverage that we were seeing around that topic in the spring when we we, we designed the survey. Uh, maybe the other thing is is the number of uh, large breaches, and we classified large breaches as breaches that were a million dollars or more. Uh, increased significantly. It went up from, uh, I believe it, let me pull the exact data here. It went up from essentially about 26% of the respondents uh, had experienced what we would have classified as a, a large be- breach. And it went up to 36% of the respondents experienced a breach of a million dollars or more. And so so that was you know quite a bit uh, of an increase over prior years. I know one thing you and your colleagues have an eye on is uh, the increased scrutiny from the SEC when it comes to cybersecurity disclosure. Any insights there to share with us? Sure. So I think there's no question that the, that's going to be a, a major enforcement priority for the SEC. And so they issued uh, a proposed rule about 18 months ago, and then they finalized that rule back in, in July. And then it goes into effect in the late December, early January timeframe, depending on when your uh, annual reports need to be filed and when you potentially would have an incident. The rule itself really clarifies some of the existing guidance that the SEC always felt like was the law of the land as it related to the need to file an 8K disclosure if you have a material cyber incident. What the the proposed rule uh, and final rule uh, tried to do was be more prescriptive and what needed to be included in that 8K. Uh, and more particularly, it uh, put in a, a notice period, right? It, it said that that there was a, a four-day uh, reporting window uh, once you had determined a, a material breach had, had occurred. And so that's really, really, I think, a key aspect of the rule itself is is that ticking ticking clock. And a lot of the questions that we get from clients are really around materiality. You know, how do they, they think about uh, whether or not a breach is material, uh, because you know we see you know breaches happen every day. Sometimes it's an individual user that gets hit with ransomware. It's something that's very widespread, and and how do they begin to put some guardrails around the way they think about materiality? And what we've said there uh, is really uh, there's obviously the financial aspect. I think you very quickly can can get your arms around your financial materiality. Most most of our uh, clients already have a financial materiality threshold that they use for financial reporting. And so uh, you can look at your your current breach costs and any other expected costs that are likely to come from the breach, and you can land on a materiality figure financially pretty quickly. Where it gets to be more tricky, in our view, is on the intangible aspects of the breach. So think about the loss of intellectual property, Think about uh, the erosion of uh, brand in the market, customer trust. How do you begin to put some some guardrails or some considerations around whether or not a specific breach is going to impact your competitive positioning in the market to a degree that a reasonable investor would want to know that information? There's a lot more gray area there, and I think there's room for judgment. And many of our clients are asking for our help in defining the framework by which they make those types of considerations. And I think the other piece of this that's going to be equally important is the documentation that companies uh, preserve after a breach that really allows them to show their math, if you will, to really uh, allow them to, to, to demonstrate their thinking and rationale for why they determined either something was material or to the extent they determined that it was not material that it was supported by a framework that was was approved and accepted by the company. And so that's really on the 8K side. Uh, the other aspect of the rule itself is on the 10K disclosure side. That, that, that requires an annual disclosure of how the firm manages their cyber, their cyber risk. 
Uh, it includes a description of the management expertise that you have on board. Uh, it includes uh, any risk assessments that you do, any any programmatic things that you do to manage the risk, and then ultimately how that risk gets reported up to senior management and the board. And so I think there's going to be increased scrutiny that what gets described in that 10K filing uh, is one, one adequate, uh, and then two, you know, accurately reflects the reality on the ground of the way you're managing your cybersecurity program every day. Hmm. You know, going back to the Global Digital Trust Insights report, what are the takeaways here? What, what do you hope people take away from the report? So uh, we talked about it from the perspective of six things that, that we think you know, clients should, should do. First and foremost is we think every C-suite executive needs to learn to speak a new language. And what we mean by that is the CISO needs to be prepared to talk in business terms and we need business leaders, whether it be the general counsel, the chief compliance officer, the CFO, to learn a little bit more technical language and to be comfortable talking about cyber risk. Uh, the second thing that we, we, we encourage clients to do is to really uh, think about new ways of managing cyber risk, particularly looking at the ability to quantify their cyber risk. That's going to be very important. Third is really understanding the regulatory guardrails and participating in industry organizations that are shaping the next round of regulation, because we know that this is going to be an area of of, of topics. You've got to get used to cyber being in the boardroom as a fourth priority. Uh, It's clear with the SEC guidance and, frankly, just industry trends that the CISO is going to need a seat seat at the table at the boardroom. We need the CISO to begin to think like a business owner, to think about how the company makes money and grows their revenue and delights their customers and making sure that you do that in a secure way that doesn't impact that customer experience or the ability to get new products to market. And lastly, it's going to require creative thinking. As we think about new technologies like generative AI, robotic process automation, augmented reality, blockchain, et cetera, each of those is going to introduce new risk and new opportunities. And it's important for security professionals to really embrace those new technologies and to think creatively about the ways they can create value for the organization. That's Joe Nacera from PwC. It is always my pleasure to welcome back to the show Deepin Desai. He is the global CISO and head of security research and operations at Zscaler. Uh, Deepin, it's great to have you back. You and your colleagues uh, recently published some uh, research on the Toy Toy Trojan, uh, analyzing a new multi-stage attack targeting the Latin American region. Uh, what can you share with us here today? Hey, thank you, Dave. So, yes, Toy Toy, interesting name, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> The, the malware campaign that the team discovered over here um, signifies that we're, we're, we're in the time where the attacks no longer start or end with uh, an executable or, or a final stage payload. There's like multiple stages involved. Uh, it starts from the stage one downloader, which does, does some basic recon. In this case, we saw the stage one was a simple downloader module uh, that attempts to evade things like sandboxing, security analysis, uh, and then it tries to establish some level of persistence. It then progresses uh, to a second stage payload, which attempts to perform certain uh, known vulnerability exploits. Um, right? And this is where there's a loader module, there is an injector module, and then there is a privilege escalation module uh, where 
a combination of these three payloads, uh, the main goal over here is A, to achieve escalated privilege. So if, if it's running as a user mode, they, they're trying to get to the kernel mode. That way they're able to do much more like disabling endpoint security solutions, monitoring solutions, you know, deleting backups and things like that. And then, then the final stage payload after the previous stages successfully executed is the Toy Toyn Trojan, uh, which is aimed at uh, stealing sensitive information from the endpoints. Hmm. And they're targeting organizations in the Latin American region? Yes. So this campaign was specifically targeting businesses in Latin American region. And uh, there were certain things that we observed that further signified, like uh, one of the protection module that would, they were specifically looking out. Uh, so, so let me actually take a step back. So mm. once, once the attack is successful, the, the toy toy Trojan gets installed. That Trojan will then uh, transmit system information, things like what kind of uh, web browsers are installed on the system. And then it will check for a very specific protection module. It's called Topaz OFD. For those of you that don't know, it's it's basically a security plugin. And and I was myself not aware of it um, until the team discovered this. This is apparently mandated in the Latin American region for online banking. And hmm. so this is where uh, it's a Topaz OFD wars warsaw core.exe file that will be running on these systems. And uh, um, the attacker is basically looking for that and looking for the, what version of this uh, security module is installed on the system, which further signifies that this malware is aimed at, at businesses and, and consumers in Latin American region. And ultimately, is this a banking Trojan? They're, they're going after money here? Yes, so the the goal over here is two things. One is stealing information. We only saw early recon stage, but the, the next level stage is where they will go after um, you know banking, financial information, and then attempt to perform scams, uh, leveraging uh, users' credentials. And what are your recommendations here for folks to best protect themselves? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the way this specific malware attack starts is with a phishing email. Um, mm. It's an email with uh, a link uh, that, so the link actually points to Amazon EC2 instance. So I'm not going to tell the users, hey, look at the domain because domain may appear to be legitimate. But mm. this is where the organization needs to have that full TLS inspection, inspecting all the content that's landing on the on your end user's laptop, and then having uh, inline phishing inspection, uh, very, very important. The final point over here that I've made before as well is you need to have security awareness training, which is built in these, in these inline security control. So uh, to, to elaborate on that, what we do, and I do this for Zscaler employees as well, if when someone is about to make a mistake, say they clicked on a link in this phishing email, a, a page pops up that say you're about to visit a destination that is not trusted, right? that is 
You should not be entering your credentials. Do not download files from this destination. Do not um, post your financial information like credit card. And mm. the user has to click a button to then end up on the destination page. I said this by itself provides that security awareness training the time the user is about to make the mistake rather than doing the training after the mistake happens. Right? Now, mm-hmm. look, don't get me wrong. The awareness training offline is also important, right? But but having investment in this inline control makes it very, very powerful, right? enabling your end users to do the right thing. All right. Well, interesting insights as always. Deepin Desai from Zscaler, thank you so much for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, where I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The CyberWire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Ivan. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by our editorial staff. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. Mm-hmm.